Need a quick hit of Marketing Smarts inspiration? Here it is. We have lifted portions of our Marketing Smarts episodes for those of you who need a quick jolt of marketing savviness right now. Refer to the description for how to find a longer form version. And with that, here it is. All right, so just to recap the essentials of a successful PR stunt. Make sure it reflects your brand character. In order to get the best reaction from a stunt, it needs to reflect the true personality of the brand. Focus on conversion. Once you have attention, what are you going to do with it? This needs to be planned before the stunt and is usually fueled by a call to action. Third, make sure the stunt is intrinsically tied to the brand. Stunts are meant to make a statement. You need to make sure your statement is more than, whoa, that's cool. (laughs) This is especially the case if you want any brand recognition from the coverage. Finally, needs to have drama. Stunts are expected to be over the top, which implies there needs to be some level of drama, which is generally fueled by anticipation, unexpectedness, surprise, admiration, cleverness, something that makes people feel something that compels them to share and engage with the brand according to the call to action. All right, our next segment is In the Trenches, where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application so that you guys can all digest and put into action today. All right. The first in the trenches question, I told you I'd go right there. Why don't you like stunts, Anne? Weren't you in PR? <laughs> I get this all the time. Because it seems like it's an automatic assumption that if you're in PR, then... You love them. You love them. Which is why I, I associated with st- stunts with PR for a long time, and then I didn't like PR. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so here's how I tend to answer this question. So yes, I was in PR at P&G. For big, iconic brands, right? And when you have big, iconic brands, you need to be very, very careful on how you handle them. It takes decades to build an iconic brand. It actually only takes minutes to bring it all crashing down, like we've talked about. But that didn't stop our agencies from trying in Fabricare to actually sell us stunts. And really, there's only one brand that maybe could have pulled it off, and that's Gain, um, because they're the only one that had a character that was maybe in that realm of being able to do a stunt. But every time our agency tried, it just looked very, very forced, right? It just came off as looking like we were really trying way too hard. And like we said it before, that is an automatic opt-out for a lot of people when you look like you're trying way too hard. I say the closest one that we ever came to was like Tide sponsored a tomato battle as a torture test demo. So it was all these tomatoes, and then they like threw them at everybody, and then we showed that we could get out the tomatoes from a shirt. Yeah, that was about as good as we could do um, at the time frame when we were doing this, what was called Always On Social Media, when that was really hot, when everybody had a newsroom. Yeah, I know a lot of my friends are <laughs> nodding their heads and having PTSD right now. And I guess I, I can say, too, for a fact that <laughs> there was always people famous for suggesting Guinness World Records, too. So... That became a little bit of um, the vein of my existence because really when it came down to business schools, these brands didn't need flashes in the pan. <laughs> they needed more intentional brand love development. And a stunt doesn't do that on its own, right? Like I said, the, the stunt is the start of the journey. And so it just frustrated me that it like totally felt like a cop-out versus doing the hard work to figure out, okay, how do I make my brand, even though it is laundry detergent or a fabric care product, really intrinsically tied to the culture, to the zeitgeist of what is going on now without having to do something that looked like it was just like a cheap ploy for some PR. Now, like I said, Head & Shoulders did it right. They developed this whole cachet with Troy and they did a really good job with that. They actually did another really fun one where they had him unveiled as a wax statue at Madame Tussauds. 
It was fabulous. I mean, it was extremely <laughs> lifelike. And then when they saw people's reactions to it, they actually started using the wax statue as a way to prank people. <laughs> it was brilliant. It cre- it created a ton of news. It you know it was like always like is this the real Troy or not the real Troy? I mean, it was it was fabulously done. That is a way of being able to do stunts and kind of resurrecting stunts in a way that actually feels authentic to your brand. Well, and I think like to the point you made before, they were able to successfully one up the one that they did before. Yeah, they were so always they, constantly yeah. doing something that was actually, you know, that was clever too, yeah. right? You know, yeah. so yes, I, I totally give them a ton of props for that. But I actually can really appreciate a well-conceived and executed stunt. Just like I can appreciate a well-conceived and executed F-bomb. I mean, it's <laughs> it's all strategically placed, right? I just find that most brands aren't willing to invest the time, money, and energy to go all in and, and, and actually do it in a way that actually brings it to life in a very, like, like over-the-top way. And then even if they do, they don't want to build a plan to leverage it. So then I'm like, well, what's the point? I'm like, why do we even do that? I and like I said, I just get all cringy when I feel like it's just the knee jerk reaction to well, we don't have any new news, so let's just do something to see if we can get some PR publicity. And so that's why I don't like stunts in the context of not following what we're saying right here. Yeah, and I think for me, just you know, the ones that I really gravitate to are smart, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just that they're they're brand focused. It's not just that they're you know, building that equity or any of that. It's that to the point you just said and like the inflection of your voice of like, oh, that was good, too. That was good, too. It comes with intrigue and surprise as the reaction. But it's where you can look at it and you can be like, yeah, that was smart. That was solid. That was a good reason to go do that. And I think that my PTSD associated with it was when to the points made in the beginning about jumping ship on strategy or not really thinking through, the wow, cool thing would overtake it. And to me, that's just yeah. lazy. It's like, well, then what are you tying that to? Right. And and when it's, like we said, if it's not tied to the brand in, in a way that really explains a why, the PR and the, and the journalists will just push the brand aside. Yes. For whatever story they think is going to the get them the followers, get them the views, get them, you know, at that point in time, newspapers sold, you know, all of those sorts of things, right? So if you can't make a good case for why you own that stunt, you will be pushed aside in the, in the hearts and minds of everybody. Yep. Yeah. All right. Aren't all PR campaigns some level of stunts? <laughs> like I just made the comment before. <laughs> now, okay, so we can argue semantics. So some would say leveraging talent is stunning, like I just talked about Troy Palomalu. And it can be the talent and what you have them doing isn't on brand. It can feel very stunty in a bad way, right? Now, how I differentiate is in the level of longevity and the OTT is what we call but over-the-topness, right? So if it's like a firework where it goes boom and there's a bunch of pretty colors and shapes and everybody goes ooh and then it's over, it's a stunt, right? If it's like a disco ball, which can have many pretty colors that steadily shine for a longer period of time where people can dance and dance, it's a marketing campaign, right? So that's kind of metaphors. Well, I think that helps kind of like, would you disagree? No, I mean, I actually chuckled and said to myself, and in her metaphors. when I, I know, I love a good metaphor, you know me. <laughs> Um, but admittedly, there is actually a very fine line. So I'm going to give you an example. So Cheetos did a contest to submit crazy shapes you see in your Cheetos for a chance to win. I can't remember. It was like some money or something to that effect. Because that was like something that was really going on in the culture when people were actually like photographing their Cheetos and they looked like certain things. And mm-hmm. that became become a very popular thing. So some could call this a publicity stunt. 
because it is like a contest and it was like in yeah. that moment, right? But I would actually call it a marketing campaign because one, it's not really over the top. Like it's it's taking advantage of culture in a smart way, in a clever way, but there's really no drama associated with it. And there's nothing that says that you can't continue that story on like a disco ball mm-hmm. and dance to it for a long time. You could continue to resurrect it and it like continues then to live on and it it gets old eventually, but it's not like a firework where it's like, boom, I can only do that once and it's done. Well, and I would say, again, to my point before, it's smart. It's smart. It's definitely smart, but it is more of a marketing campaign. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, it's also not as expensive as, you know, even though you're doing a contest, you're still saying money with it. It's generally not as expensive. Drop in the bucket compared yeah. to what you would spend. Yeah. Not that every stunt has to be very expensive. They just tend to be. Now, Dove Real Beauty is also sometimes referred to as a stunt. Um, and if it had stopped at the original commercial, which if you guys recall and you kind of really Google back of how a woman describes herself and in, they were describing themselves in a person who was actually a sketch artist was sketching how they described themselves. And then how he, he would sketch how somebody else described them and mm-hmm. you could see the two differences. That is definitely a stunt in a way that was like, you know, mm-hmm. where it definitely took your breath away. It gave you some sort of realization, some appreciation. And there was definitely drama associated with that. But they then parlayed it into a marketing campaign. So it was almost like there was an anticipation of like, oh, shit, this worked. OK, so let's put the, you know, our marketing campaign in place then that allows us to leverage this insight and make it ours. Other people have tried and miserably failed. Dove has exclusively owned this women of beauty thing. Like it's, it's definitely featuring multiple different women, skin tones, sizes, all of that. They've owned that in a way that's been truly tied to them but done in such a tasteful way Mm -hmm. um that it's been allowed to and people appreciate it you know it's been allowed to live for so long you know and so that was you know thought through as like okay if this wins how am i gonna have a marketing campaign to continue to parlay this again really really smart and and done in a way that is authentic to the product authentic to the brand and fits all of this, but started with a stunt. So like I said, the stunt is the beginning of the journey. Well, and the credit that I always gave them here is Dove is a brand that I think before this happened was pretty sleepy and didn't have a super strong Mm -hmm. positioning. And so the fact that they were able to reposition themselves in a highly, highly relevant way and get in front of executing something that was a huge topic of the time of like the airbrushing and the you know models and whatever versus what does it really look like? I mean, that was huge. Like before that. And very risky, actually. Very risky. Like before, like the fact that they were able to do that and then own it, I think, to your point, beyond being just a flash in the pan of doing something that was super compelling, but then you might forget the brand, they continued it really well. And I think, you know, if you think about, and for me, it was like Dove soap growing up was in like my grandma's shower, right? Mm -hmm. It was a soap bar with a little Dove carved in. And to think about where this started and and where it's come, I just have a ton of respect for it. Yeah, me too. So. I agree. All right. My brand managers love stunts, but they aren't doing much to build the brand. How do I get them to consider something different? April, what are your thoughts here? In all transparency, we've gotten this question the other way around, too, from the agency standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, agency, please stop bringing me stunts. So <laughs> I'll just go ahead and, and preempt that here. Um, so, first of all, use the four points we outlined as design criteria. It helps set the expectation for what it takes to have that successful stunt. 
If they balk on either side again, then have the conversation of what must be true to deliver the stunt in a successful way through the lens of the brand and what it's going to mean for the brand. You can also have someone else say no for you that outranks that person or that team and can't be argued with. A lot of times, you know, legal can be thrown in the mix for this. They're used to beating the bad guy and they don't care. See if you can get out ahead of it with an informed marketing strategy. So to the point we made before, making sure that it's fully integrated and that sets up the next six to 12 months. So once the stunt happens into the the conversation we just had about Dove, right, if it lands, what are you going to go and do with it to capitalize on the fact that it did? Here's the trick. You need to probably include at least one stunt that you can live with. We've given you a range of what that can look like, how risky it can be, what's classified as a stunt. So think about what those parameters, limitations, uh, allowances are for you and get let that be their gimme, right? Don't expect them to go cold turkey, but this is the opportunity to influence what the stunt looks like and then, again, how it connects to the broader marketing plan through the lens, again, of your brand and making sure that it's relevant and achievable by your brand. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And the other way I've heard it as well is the PR person really loves to do stunts, but the brand managers can't, don't like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Fair. So like yeah. trying to get them to come on board. And like I said, there is a time and place for a very well-conceived stunt. But I think here the point is, is that you have to, and I like the last point you, you made, is you have to make them part of the marketing plan. Yeah. Integrate them in. Do not expect to try to tell them all the different reasons why you're not going to do it and how you refuse to do it. If you're going to put up that wall, they're going to very quickly see you as a barrier to doing good work. And that becomes a personal integrity and credibility issue. You may have to just work with them and figure out how to do it in a way that's going to be conducive to building the brand. And if it's the start of something, how you're going to then take that and parlay it into something that you feel is going to be even a stronger method of building the brand. So think about it holistically. Don't try to be the wall. If you feel like it's like way too risky, then I do totally, as I said, support like bringing somebody else in to say no. You don't always have to be the bad guy. That was one of the big things I learned because a lot of times PR folks can seem like the bad guy because they're always constantly weighing the risk versus the brand. And frankly, a lot of the times um, brand managers use the PR people to say no. Yeah. Right. So. Well, and I think the point, right, this isn't in the trenches question. So regardless of who is the <laughs> the bad guy or the one that you don't want to do the stunts anymore in the situation, this holds them accountable to a strategy that's broader than them and also gives you assistance in combating it, right? Because you can poke holes when you say, no, that doesn't make sense because of X, Y, and Z versus I don't like stunts. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You could try to have a rational conversation. Try. Try. All right. Our fourth in the trenches question. When is the best time to do a stunt? April. All right, so product launches are the most obvious answer. This is Richard Branson's MO. If they're done in accordance with what we describe here, then stunts can be a successful way of breaking through, getting instant attention, especially if this is a challenger brand. That can be a really good place. I mean, Richard's notorious for that, too. He knows what he's doing when it comes to stunts. But as we mentioned, you have to be ready with a marketing plan that parlays the stunt into conversion from there. So just always remember that point. We've hit it a million times in this episode because it really is just that important. Another one is if you're introducing a new brand element. So positioning, logo, tagline, 
brand story, talent. These are the more in-the-moment events where you want to make a big splash. And honestly, Dove Real Beauty is an example of this. Like I said, they had become a fairly sleepy brand, kind of lost their identity. In my mind, the population or the consumer was aging out. So what were they going to become? And even when they brought in additional products, I have to say, it still lived as the bar soap in my head, right? So I wasn't the target, whereas now Dove rotates through our house regularly. To generate new news is another. Again, this can get dangerous if you don't do it right because it can come off as clickbait, a cheap way of getting publicity, inauthentic, especially if it's not related to your brand. All those impressions that can damage your brand. And Anne made the point early on that building equity is a hard thing to do and an easy thing to break. And stunts are one of the ways that happens. So make sure the why is very clear and connected to your message track if you want to use a stunt to generate the new news. Mm -hmm. But definitely do not do a stunt just because you want the brand to go viral. We've talked about this before. (laughs) That's a ridiculous statement. We've seen too many people, too many brands, too many products make really poor decisions and spend way too much money, waste their time, and then do irreparable damage. Going viral is not a KPI. No. No, it's not. (laughs) Or something that you can just make happen, no matter how smart or strategic or whatever you are. That's why we highly suggest you design your marketing and PR strategy around what is best for the brand. If it's a stunt, great. Just make sure it has a clear role to play within your marketing strategy, in that bigger picture, with other things supporting it, and through the lens of the brand. Yeah, I think that's a a really great way to sum up this whole entire episode because it does put a little bit of... uh, You uh, you said the word, I'll use the word again, like responsibility and accountability Mm -hmm. for where this actually fits into a marketing plan. Mm -hmm. And then... It's some responsibility and accountability for making it work in the way that it's intended to. So these are specific reasons for doing one that actually lend itself to specific KPIs that are to be delivered. So I think that was a great way of summing that all up. Thank you. Yeah. All right. And our third and final segment is a real example of a business or a person we've experienced recently using or not using their marketing smarts. So we call this marketing smarts moments. And so it's my turn for this one. So (laughs) my marketing smarts moment is Orange Theory and specifically the use of iconography. All right. So the fitness world is an utter like shit show. All right. So there's new workouts popping up and leaving every day. There's all kinds of, you know, one minute something's in grace and then it falls from grace like Peloton. I mean, it it just you just (laughs) never know what like what's the latest and greatest of the day. Right. But one that has had some staying power, which I'm surprised a bit by, is Orange Theory. And it hit me the other day as I was parked in front of one why this was. And really the truth was in their iconography, which is actually on the windows. All right. So the icons were a tremel. And then there was a second one when I first looked at it. It looked like a little hut. (laughs) (laughs) But then after looking, I deciphered it as a bench with a BOSU ball on it and a dumbbell right beside it. But it looked like a little hut. That sounds like a little bit of a problem if you can't decipher it at first. It was a little bit. So maybe some optimization there. Because I love BOSU ball. Like, it's it's a thing for me. I kind of got it. And then, all right, so I digress a little bit. And then the third one was a bike. And so my theory as to why Orange Theory has had the staying power is because it's so based on fundamentals that people understand. Mm-hmm. Running. It's weightlifting. It's biking. All right. So there is now a secret sauce on how they put them all together. And then they also layer that in with the competition piece of it, which I think is actually very smart. So you're not like moving too far away from basic fundamentals people people understand, but you're putting them in a 
different order or you're kind of creating a new vibe around it that people like, hey, this is a different way for me to run or this is a different way for me to bike. And you kind of create a little bit of atmosphere there. Now, I will admit that I never gone to a class because even though I like circuit training, like circuit cardio training and the way that they do it is just not a workout that I was you know, cl- inclined to try. And I'm not really into like the competition thing motivating me, but I can definitely appreciate how it appeals to a student group of people. So, so now the lesson here is that sometimes it's about reimagining, not reinventing, okay? <laughs> so I I, I, I want to stress this one, and I hope everybody can internalize this, because here, like, especially when the world of fitness, the familiarity piece here is key. So it helps with the trial barrier of the intimidation factors, like, okay, I know how to run, I know how to bike, I know how to weight lift. Okay, it doesn't seem all that scary to kind of try and put it all things together. And the icons are actually a really great way of simply conveying that idea that can actually be carried through all of the marketing channels. Yeah, so I'm always the brand police, right? And so I think, yes, all of that is exactly right. And I think that... You know, we talked about, not that this is an example really related to stunts at all, but because of the conversation we just had, we talked about the idea of one-upping the previous one, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that part of the reason that the fitness category has become such an utter disaster is because everyone's always trying to create something brand new, right? Yeah, do you you still do Zumba? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or or like, um, what were those videos? Oh, man, I can't remember. My dad did them. P90X. 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 Yeah. Right. So there's always a flash in the pan next thing. And I think what happens is that, okay, there are certain people that are always looking for the flash in the pan. What's the next thing I'm going to try? Right. But they always peter out. Right. And so unless you're the next thing and you realize you're only going to be there for a period of time, that's not a very good business or brand model. Right. But I think here... That actually at the brand level, Orange Theory, while it's not a natural connection, it is because the name is simple, but then they've built the infrastructure underneath it that Mm -hmm. supports the simplicity of the brand. And the brand gets credit for differentiation and everything from the orange color, the fact that it's a real word. Mm-hmm. The fact that it doesn't have fitness in the name, right? But I think the reason it works is because of all the things you pointed out. It's Orange Theory, in theory, pun intended, it has nothing to do with the fitness space. But because all the things below it ladder up to the simplicity of it, to me, there is inherently a simplicity factor in that brand. Like Orange Theory, again, again real yep, world, real word, doesn't say fitness in it, doesn't overcomplicate it. And you're kind of intrigued, right? Differentiator, color-wise. There's the, something about like, well, what is your theory? Yeah, what is your theory, right? Yeah. You want to you dig in more. And then I think it's delivered so cleanly that we're back to the basics or the fundamentals of what fitness actually means. And that is their theory. And so yeah. I just think it just it holds together really nicely. And um, honestly, I mean, it's one of the only fitness brands. I've talked about this before about how just disgusted I am with the category and the naming and like, why do you have to create a word every time? This is one that I see it. I know what it is. It doesn't even have to be the name. Mm-hmm. All of the elements hold together really well. And that in and of itself differentiates it for the category. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.